Welcome to episode number 55 of the Marine Layer Podcast. Today, we welcome on Derek Van Riper, podcast host on the Athletic Podcast Network. You hear him on the Athletic Baseball Show and Rates and Barrels. We talk a little bit about the playoff picture in the American League. Look ahead to October and see where the Mariners fit in in that race. We'll also talk about George Kirby's comments after Friday's Mariners loss in Tampa Bay and a pitching staff that seems to be melting down at the worst possible time. This show is brought to you by Pagacha's Pub 85. That's Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. It's on 85th Street in Rose Hill, east of 405, with some really good parking. It's also home of the best pizza in town. They've got everything you need. They've got fresh food, fresh cocktails, fresh beer. And like they like to say, it is not fancy. It's not trendy. It is just good food. Again, that's Pub 85 on 85th Street in Kirkland. They've got everything you need for food, drinks, and sports with 22 TVs inside the restaurant. So you want to go check out a Mariners game, check out a Seahawks game, really anything you might desire. Head over to Pub 85 and get all the food, beer, alcohol, and sports you could possibly be looking for. It's the go-to place in Kirkland. That's Pagacha's Pub 85. And one final reminder before we start this show that if you're listening on our audio platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon, head over to YouTube too. Watch us on YouTube, hit subscribe, like, comment, and turn those notification bells on when we go live or post a show. If you're listening and watching on YouTube, check us out on the audio side too. Follow us, download our episodes, give us a five-star review. The reviews, the downloads really help us out big time. They only take a couple extra seconds too. And then on social media, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording right at 11 o'clock here on Monday, September 11th, post-game of Game 1 of this Mariners and Angels series, Lyle. And wow, our Shohei to Seattle campaign is off to a tough start. He just had to get scratched out of the lineup, didn't he? My theory on this is the Angels are conspiring against us. They saw our campaign, they saw our posts, they saw our tweets, and they decided, you know what, we're just going to yank them right out of the lineup. Now, I will say, we tried to pivot here, and I did everything in my possible power to come up with a plan B on the fly, get around the ballpark, get people involved, which was chanting, we want Shohei every time Mike Moustakis was up, who is the replacement DH and was the replacement DH for Shohei here on Monday. But it didn't go exactly as planned, which I didn't know how it was going to go. It was always going to be hard if he's not in the lineup. Again, I tried to think of a plan B. I tried to think of a way where people could still get the chance going. But we need him in the lineup. By the time this podcast comes out, there will be another Angels game that is already concluded. I really hope by then he is in the lineup so we can actually get these chants going. Because I'll tell you what, I was... Not a happy camper. On top of the loss here on Monday night, I was not a happy camper that we tried to put all this effort into this campaign just for him to get scratched after originally saying, oh, he's going to play. So we'll see. And you mentioned he was not in the dugout. I I didn't see him anywhere. Hmm. That's a good question. Where was he? Was he at driveline? I guess that's possible. Maybe he was just... He likes driveline. Maybe he was just sitting in the clubhouse for all I know. Who knows? Yeah, maybe he wanted to watch a different game. 
Maybe him and Trout were were hanging out. Oh, him, Trout, and Rendon. They were on the they were on a banana boat. <laughs> God, and what's Anthony Rendon spewing to those two? Uh, no habla ingles today. Yeah, there you go. I, uh, I really hope Otani plays. I mean, I like I we saw what this city can do when he's up at the plate in terms of rallying behind a chant. They did it during All Star Week. Everybody did it during All Star Week, and that was for one at bat. If, he, if if people could just do it for eight to ten at-bats now here in the last two games, I mean, I think it would just be electric. But get him in the lineup. I'm begging. I'm begging somebody. I'm begging Shohei to get healthy and get in the lineup here. After this series, he can sit the rest of the year for all I care. But just get in the lineup here on Tuesday and Wednesday. On top of all of that, the game wasn't much better. No. Oh, no, it might have been worse. Yeah. Maybe my maybe my mood is worse because I spend so much time walking around the ballpark trying to promote promote this thing and and used a lot of energy on that and then used a lot of energy on the game in which went to extra innings and they lost miserably. So I'm sitting here using basically emergency backup power to get through this podcast and any last juice of energy that I have in me because between all that today, like I'm I'm on fumes here, especially after the loss. I told Lyle to drink some coffee, but he never listens to me when I tell him to do that. So all I got to say is this this is on him. And I, I don't want to talk about the loss right now because I'm sure it will come up in our in our second storyline, which essentially highlights some of the problems that were issued today. Uh, I will note, uh, I'm pretty tired of watching the Mariners in extra innings, which for some reason, for what has generally been a good offense this year by WRC+, plus, by many statistics across the board, they're a good offense. Maybe not a great offense, but they're a good offense. The astounding way how they manage to just not score in extra innings, and they fall now to 6-13 and 13 in extra innings, I mean, that just should not happen. You have opportunities in extra innings, and today it wasn't just extra innings. You had opportunity in the ninth inning as well. So could, that, could you give them an extra ninth inning loss for that? That ninth inning, two bases loaded, nobody out, and just. We have seen that way too many times this season. How many times are they going to have the bases loaded with nobody out, especially in clutch situations? And that happens. It's happened so many times. Yeah. I, I don't even know what the worst part about tonight was, to be honest. I'll throw one stat out there that is relevant to tonight before before I re-reference this stat in our second storyline, the Mariners now over their last 10 games have blown a multi-run lead in five of them. That is not good. I think the worst part is the fact they had the bases loaded with nobody out in the ninth and did not score against the Angels. That's the worst part. I, Yeah, I don't get it. I mean, it, 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 Jared, first game back, what? It was a, a strikeout against a lefty tough like uh, okay right and, the, and then the play-by-play went away oops thank you MLB app well I can tell you what happened Demo grounded out with the infield in or they it was a fielder's choice force play at home and then Dom Canzone grounded out to first base or the the now couple of times in this game as well which we haven't mentioned yet where they got thrown out on the base paths inexcusably again on 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 routine decisions Julio I know you went thirty thirty for today, buddy, but I'm I'm looking at you running towards third base and looking looking like a little leaguer. 
and, and we should probably mention too, as we sit here now recording, the Mariners are out of a playoff spot. They are half a game back of Texas. For the first time in weeks, they are not in the playoff picture, which that's awesome. Yeah, we spent all this time laughing about Texas and, and their bullpen and, and how they seem to just be falling off the moon back to earth and out of the playoff picture. Well, look how the tables have turned. It it looks uh, – it, it took one good Texas win in Toronto today to to, to flip the script. We'll see how long this lasts for Texas because currently both teams are playing badly. So we'll see who figures it out first or if either figure it out at all. But it's neck and neck. The Mariners had some lead in that wild card area, but not anymore. Let me just throw this note here before we get to our storylines. When this episode comes out, you'll have a little bit under 24 hours to bid for those Dodger those Saturday night Dodger Mariners tickets that were we've partnered with Chasing Aces Golf to give away three Mariners tickets. The the uh, the charity raffle will close on Thursday, so tomorrow when this comes out, the charity raffle will close. It is twenty dollars to enter. You would win three tickets, really nice tickets, first level tickets. So uh, all the proceeds of this charity raffle goes to pause.org. So if you're interested in getting some tickets and donating to a good cause, go bid, go to the Chasing Aces Instagram. I get we've partnered with them. They, they follow us like some of our stuff. You can go find them on Instagram, click the link in their bio, and you can go bid for some really nice Dodgers Mariners tickets. And of course, donate to the animals as well. Lyle was there at Bark at the Park Night tonight. And here we are doing our part on this podcast, support the wonderful animals of this world. So go to Chasing Aces Golf Instagram, go to the link in their bio, go bid for some tickets. And hey, you you might go get yourself some pretty nice seats for a pretty big game on Saturday night. Okay, let's get to our Mariners storylines. First up, we need to address the elephant in the room. And that elephant is George Kirby. Yeah, where do we want to start with this? So he he has a rough start against Tampa Bay. It's been a stretch of kind of bumpy outings for him. He went six and two-thirds. He went back out for the seventh inning. He let up a two-run home run. That was not it. Yeah, not a game the Mariners won, right? They didn't nope. win on Friday. No, they yeah, did not. They lost, they lost that game. I, I mean, yeah, they're all jumbling together now. <laughs> they, they lost that game. And afterward, I mean, you don't need us to tell you this. I'm sure you've seen it. Kirby had his post-game presser, and he said, I don't think I should have been out there for the seventh, to be honest. And he said that he was at 90 pitches and didn't feel like he needed to go anymore. So he got a lot of pushback on that from a variety of now retired pitchers, because now that they're retired, they have a lot more time to spend on their phone and tweeting at current players. So to name a few, I mean, Jared Weaver. Do you want me to read any of these? Should we read them? You can. <laughs> uh, let's let's pick out a good one here. Um, and like, so Jared Weaver quote tweets this and says, "This is why I'll never be any kind of coach in the big leagues." To be honest, I shouldn't. I shouldn't have been out there. I threw ninety pitches? Question mark. What the fuck? Embarrassing. Truly embarrassing. Grab your nuts and let's go work. Yeah, Jared Weaver, who threw what, like eighty-one miles an hour with his fastball. 
yeah, I don't think he had to worry about maintaining his velocity into the sixth and seventh inning. It was usually already gone by then. So thank you, Jared. He had a few other replies there. Mark Mulder had oh. had a few things to say. Can't believe this guy made 27 starts this year. The things I would say would get me in trouble. You know, he said a lot. That'll, that would probably get him in trouble with a lot of people. You just go check his Twitter timeline. <laughs> Roger Clemens says, this would not fly in the old days, although we know Roger needed a little extra oomph to get through the seventh inning and to recover after starts as well. So, oh, and also, I believe he also got asked out of a, he asked to get out of a World Series game one time. I forget which year that was, um, but I heard it this morning. Uh, so that that was that. Um, so yeah, I think this is this is the gr- best opportunity possible for old heads to come out and say how great they were. Which is just ridiculous, by the way, because for for these guys that talk about loving old school baseball, isn't George Kirby the exact type of pitcher you would love? A guy who throws a ton of strikes and commands the zone as well as anybody in the game of baseball. And pitches in deep into games. He doesn't lead the Mariners at in innings, but if you, if you're looking at this Mariners rotation, it's like, okay, who's going the deepest in any given game? It It's George Kirby. That's what he does. And he's... He is what I qualify as a bulldog. Now, you cannot say what George Kirby said and call yourself a bulldog. That's that's just absolutely not true. You you cannot do that. You cannot say I'm the ace of a team. I want to be the ace of a team and come out and do that. You need to be a better liar, George Kirby. And he knows from now on he's got to lie his ass off. No matter what he's feeling, no matter what he did on the mound, no matter what he fucked up, he needs to lie better. Because otherwise, this just opens up a whole bag of worms, and now all the attention is on the Mariners and a team that's so focused on their culture and that how could something like that slip out and you question the Mariners' decisions, the, the manager's decisions, after just another excruciating loss. You, you can't do that, and that sends ripples. It was a bad quote. I don't think anybody's defending the quote. I'm sure Kirby himself is no longer defending the quote because it was not said in the right time. It shouldn't have been said, period. And if you're going to say it at all, that's got to happen behind closed doors. So, yeah, I mean, it was a bad quote. What can you say? Now, the thing I think I had the most issue with is not even that the – I mean, okay, yes, first and foremost that the quote was said publicly. But it just seemed like he had a lack of regard for how taxed this bullpen is especially going back to Friday this bullpen had pitched so many games in a row without an off day where every guy had been getting worked you knew they were down in their bullpen you knew you needed your starters to go deeper into the game he's at 90 pitches like you've got another inning in you you've got another inning it's unfortunate he gave up the home run but it is not ridiculous to ask a pitcher to go back out at 90 pitches they needed to save that bullpen 93 pitches and facing seven, eight, and nine in the order. Come on, dude. Like, you looked at the lineup card before you went back out. You got scouting reports and all these guys. Seven, eight, nine in the order. You're not saying, yeah, coach, I got this. Look, maybe there was something he was feeling that we don't know about. Again, just physically. I mean, we don't know, right? Just because we don't have the reports. We're not inside the clubhouse. Any of that stuff. But... You would think that if you're the ace of a roster and you're getting into September and these are important games you need to win, you would want the ball. Now, he did apologize for this. He did have a post-game press, or not a post-game press conference, but a pre-game media session the next day where he 
did get in front of reporters and apologize. And hopefully this is just water under the bridge now and, and this gets forgotten about. But as we're sitting here talking about it, again, my whole thing is if, if we're sitting here knowing how tax the bullpen is, I'm sure he knows it because they, they go over it in the scouting report every day. They go over who's available and who's not. They go over They go over everything. So I'm sure he knows the bullpen was down, which is why, again, I kind of scratch my head and say that was that was an interesting time to put that quote out. And again, if you really do have a problem with it, it just has to happen behind closed doors. George Kirby knows his limits. He does. And I think Luke Arkins did a, had a really good thread online on Twitter showcasing how George Kirby has struggled when his pitch count has neared 100. He has allowed an 821 OPS this season, which is his highest of any like quadrant of pitch count from like 1 to 25, 26 to 50, 71 to 55, and 76 to 100. The latter 25 pitches are the 25 pitches he's the worst at, which is not surprising. But again, he knows where his limits are at. And it's not a surprise. A lot of pitchers are bad when it gets to when it, your pitch gout gets closer and closer to 100. And George Kirby, among Mariners starters, is the second worst in that behind only Brian Wu. So, it, which is kind of shocking because George pitches deeper than anyone else, right? That's kind of weird. Here's one thing I have to say. And we saw these quotes thrown out here that it's like, and this is where I'll come in defense of George, where these same old heads are like, this is why advanced analytics are making pitchers soft. And my counter to that is, no, it's not making pitchers soft. It's making managers realize that their pitchers fucking suck after 75 pitches and a third time through the lineup. That's what they realize. So, Mr. Whoever the fuck you are who pitched back in the 2000s, who had probably an eight ERA after the sixth inning, but I toughed it out. Now your manager would realize, yeah, dude, you're kind of shit after the sixth inning. So you're getting pulled. That's what that is. Okay. That's it. That's all I have to say on that. So the guys on the Just Baseball show were talking about this here on Monday, too, on their show, which we've plugged them before. We've had Peter Apple and Arm Layton on this show before, which if you guys need a, or want a national baseball podcast to listen to, like I always say, you can do two things. You can listen to TJ and I do our MLB wraparounds and check out the Just Baseball show because truthfully and truly, I'm not sure there's a better baseball podcast out there for a national baseball medium than the Just Baseball show. I would go check them out because they're awesome. They were talking about the same thing. And they said, one, what you were saying is these guys that blame analytics absolutely got lit up the third time through an order. So that's first and foremost. And also, like, analytics, that word, is the biggest crutch word in sports. Like, it's become such a scapegoat word. I think that's how they phrased it, and I think they're absolutely right. It is such a scapegoat word because they say, oh, the analytics this, the analytics that. Well, what do you actually mean when you say analytics? Pin something down. If you say, oh, this guy should be going back in the game because the numbers say his third time through the order, he is actually good. He shouldn't be asking to get the ball taken out of his hand. Fine. If you have actual proof and facts and hard evidence for what you're talking about and why you disagree with analytics and a certain factor of them, fine. But just saying, oh, analytics, it just, it ruins the game. No, no, that's you scapegoating, not liking modern baseball, even though modern baseball is much more advanced and well thought out than back when you played. It's, 
what that tells you is the person does not understand what they're talking about and they need a word to generalize so they have something to blame. Because if they were to actually pick out what the actual problem was, they wouldn't understand it and they wouldn't actually be able to tell it to you. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, get educated modern pitchers. All these guys that had the need to tweet out all this stuff that really just became, it felt like almost like a dunk a dunk session to be quite honest. Like, I understand if you disagree with what he said. I think most people disagree with the quote that Kirby put out. But using this whole analytics thing as a way to try to take your victory lap looks ridiculous because you look ridiculous talking about it. Now, if I'm going to guess of guys that went up and probably said something to Kirby, whether like consoling or like, hey, dude, like, what the fuck was that? Like, Cal, I think, because he's obviously in charge of the pitching staff as the backstop there. But I kind of miss Marco Gonzalez and Robbie Ray in this at retrospect. You know, the veteran, the like the savvy veteran. And I, I would say Luis, but there's like a little bit of a language barrier there. So like that's more understandable in his sense. But like a Robbie Ray or a Marco Gonzalez, like guys who are major league veterans who could walk over there and say like, hey, dude, like. No. Like yeah. something like that. And obviously they're in the road in Tampa. So neither of those guys are anywhere near that clubhouse. wonder if JP said anything. He's kind of the captain of the team at this point. I try and think about the position players, but like they don't pitch. Like you need a pitcher to go say something or your skipper. Who's a former catcher himself, who, which they absolutely talked like that does not. Obviously I said it before. It's like, you don't question the manager or the media. You do not do that, and I'm sure that was made crystal clear after those comments came out of, came out of his mouth. So, but again, this is a clubhouse that's run on culture, and we're seeing crack. We've seen a crack. We saw a crack. I don't know how big that crack is with Kirby's comments, but that's not what we're used to seeing, and we hope that doesn't lead to anything else down the stretch. Not not. Not a, I, I can't say anything for certain, but you know, they're in a bad stretch right now. I wouldn't say this is as bad as when Gene Segura and D Gordon got in that fight in 2018 in the clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't say it's, I wouldn't say it's like that. That 2018 clubhouse culture crumbled and burned. It's not like that, but you're right that this, this was not a good look. No, the pressure is building as they fall out of a playoff spot, and there's going to be pressure on on one's George Kirby to perform down the stretch. Before we get to our second storyline, let's hear from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's better H-E-L-P.com slash marine layer pod. Clicking, clicking that link helps support this podcast, 
but also get you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in our description or visit betterhelp.com slash Pod. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Second storyline here. I hate to say it, but this rotation looks like it is running out of gas. Just rotation? The whole staff is out of gas. I mean, where do you want to start with this? I mean, I think we should start with the rotation because that's where the bulk of the problems, I think, lie. When you look at Brian Wu and George Kirby, those guys are now way over their career high in innings for the season. I mean, Bryce Miller and Logan Gilbert may pass their career high in innings as well. But you look at Wu, he's at 70 innings right now. Last year, he threw 57, which was a career high because, again, he didn't throw that many innings at Cal Poly. He had injuries. He didn't throw that many innings in 2021 because he came back from Tommy John. So this is already a high in innings for him despite going on the IL. And now his average fastball has gone down. It's it's trending the wrong direction. It's down about a mile and a half over the last month, and it's trended down in each of his last few starts. And Kirby, Kirby's nearly 40 innings over his 130 frames from last season so he's going way over his workload too that might be part of what we're talking about with Kirby I know we just had this whole talk about him but he is going way over his career high in innings so there's been a lot asked to this rotation you mentioned Wu's in it Wu's innings you didn't even mention the innings he already threw down in double a this year before he called him up so he you're right way 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 over his innings limit but I look at this on a results basis too I mean I highlighted you look uh, not counting Logan's start today, I looked over this road trip. The Mariners went three and seven on this road trip. Three of those seven losses, the starters did not even give you a chance to get in the game. Not even a single chance. It was Bryce Miller's last start against the Tampa Bay Rays. Five innings, five earned runs. The Mariners fell behind early and never really had the bats to get back in the game. Like that whole Tampa Bay series seemed like after the early innings, they did not have really any gas to get back into it. Then Brian Wu versus Cincinnati, no chance. George Kirby in game three against the Mets. The Mariners had no chance to get back in that game because the starter never gave them the option to. And these starts really crippled the bullpen. I mean, I have the whole list of starts from this past road trip and the Mariners in that road trip got one quality start out of that entire unit. That includes guys who have higher innings limits than those other two and haven't crossed their their haven't crossed their innings thresholds. This is a group wide effort and not just a workload issue. So how do they fix this? Cross your fingers and hope things turn around in the next three weeks. The thing I was complaining to you about before the show started, as we watched the Mariners blow another lead today, they got a good start out of Logan. 
but still in a start that Logan Gilbert went seven innings. The Mariners had to use six different relievers, six different fucking relievers today and end up still losing. There's no reinforce. Where are the reinforcements coming from at this point of the season? Are there any? You don't have any starters left. Like, this is your group right now. So that's what, that's what makes this concerning. You don't have anyone to plug in to start. The only other guy you could have possibly started over this stretch, you DFA'd yesterday. And Luke and Weaver. Luke, that's it. Yeah, right. and Luke Weaver. And then if you look at the bullpen, too, there is one potential reinforcement arm, Perlander Barroa. He is currently on the taxi squad. He is still yet to be activated. He has still only pitched one-third of an inning this year in the big leagues where he walked three way earlier in the season, and they still have not activated him despite the struggles of this bullpen unit. That's what's concerning right now because it's a tired group. There's two off days left in the year, one this Thursday, one next Thursday, and there's no other relief on the horizon. And Andres Munoz threw a scoreless inning here on Monday, but it was a very, very shaky scoreless inning where he loaded the bases. He had a full count at one point with the bases loaded, and he got out of it. But they also talked about this week that he's been battling with some minor hip stuff. I I now wonder if that's maybe what's been the cause of some of these struggles over the last few weeks, and it's catching up with him, and he's trying to pitch through it given where he's at in the season. It would make sense because the fact he and he doesn't have a slider, he doesn't have the command he had last year. It would it would be a reasonable hypothesis here to say, yeah, that that hip thing might be bugging him. It would be, and I wonder if that's if that's correlated with his workload at all that he's been really leaned on here in August since they got rid of Seawald. And I speaking of Seawald, I did kind I I did think about it for a second. I was like. Do they regret that now? It's like probably not because Seawald hasn't been fantastic in Arizona. But uh, anyways, back to the current group. Listen to some of these stats, Lyle. Over the over the road trip, I don't have today included, which these numbers would get exponentially worse. Bullpen on the road trip, 29th in F4. The only team worse is the Texas Rangers. 26th in ERA, 26th in walk rate, 23rd in whip, 30th in home run to fly ball rate, 32%. 32. So one out of every three five fly balls the bullpen allowed was leaving the ballpark. And they're 27th in hard hit rate. That, that is a disaster. Yeah, the, the hope is you, these guys are just going to have to turn it around in the bullpen. And to be fair, they did a decent job trying to rest some of these guys back during the Rays series because they didn't use a lot of the high leverage guys toward the end, and they did that to try to get them some time off. And then hopefully the day thir- the the off day on Thursday can kind of help them out with that too. But I think the biggest concern again, I, I know you seem to be talking about the bullpen here more and and. From the tone of your voice, it sounds like more of your concerns are with the bullpen. I think mine is with the rotation, and specifically it's with the two rookies. Because, look, if this team's going to be a playoff team, you have to rely on the idea of Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby pitching to their ability that everybody knows that they can pitch at, which are frontline starters. Because if they don't do that, then this team's not going to the playoffs either way. The issue here is... Woo and Miller, because you can't just drop every two of five games and you can't be losing back to backs when those guys pitch. Now, they did just split these guys up for that exact reason. 
But we talked about some of Wu's now struggles with his fastball velo going down. So I look at Bryce Miller now to look at the other side of this coin. His fastball velo is not going down, but the life it once had and the effectiveness it once had earlier in the year, that seems to be gone because the run value is at negative one for the season and opponents are now slugging just about 450 against that fastball. So it's all of a sudden been very much figured out by the rest of the league. And that is what Bryce relies on more than anything. Yeah, and he's got no real secondary to bail himself out if he if he need if he can't find that pitch. But the problem is over these next three weeks, what are they gonna need? Three starts each out of those two? Right? About and you gotta how like if you're if you're gonna make a playoff spot and Texas starts playing well, you're gonna need to win half of those. Right? That's that's a pretty tall task, man. I don't I don't it, it is they could turn it around. They absolutely could. Uh, I'm just saying there's no reinforcements right now. There are none. Can I can I pivot back to the bullpen here really quick? Because uh-huh. uh, I, I kind of like this bouncing because like there uh, here's some of my concerns now with the bullpen. If you look over the thing that was most concerning over this road trip, I looked at it on like a war basis, which over a small sample is not perfect. But when I tell you that the guys who had negative war on this road trip out of your bullpen were Justin Topa, Gabe Spire, Andres Munoz, Taylor Saucedo. Does that concern you? Because those are your four of your five most reliable relievers right there who you need to come in and pitch well. And they did the opposite. So even, even if you have your three starters out there who you trust right now, Gilbert Castillo, Kirby, and you need those high leverage guys like Topa, Munoz, Spire, who had another terrible outing today, go uh, come in after them and not perform. Like those are the games you want to win, right? Because those are the games you're structured to win with your starter, and your high leverage bullpen guys aren't aren't giving you an opportunity. Not right now. Do you have to try and rely more on somebody like Isaiah Campbell in these leverage spots, who has been actually pretty good? To be fair to Campbell, but. It can't be the only guy. Well, Campbell came in on came in on Friday, and he he was the one who came in after Kirby, right? On Friday, that, that was sounds right. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that I think that was him who he came in and gave up the go ahead homer on Friday. Regardless, you're right. I do think he's been better. Um, so yes, yeah, I do think they need. I need. I want. I I don't see the. I don't see why Perlander Bro is not in the bullpen at this point. I don't. I don't. I don't see what what you're losing at this point. Just just putting him in there and giving some life, someone maybe who's not as tired. Yeah, for sure. He's not pitching every other day in the minors. In the minors, these guys throw one to two times a week. They manage their workloads pretty well down in the minor leagues. So yeah, it would absolutely be a fresh arm. I would love to see Baroa up. Now, if he can't find the plate again, then fine. You, you don't use him in high leverage. But just to have a little bit of life added to this bullpen would be great with how tired some of these guys are and here's what it's going to come down to because you're going to have to rely on your core bullpen arms that you've relied on all year topa munoz spire saucedo brash these guys are going to have to catch a second win or they're going to have to catch a final win we should put it here in the final few weeks because that's there is no number that we can quantify to say here's what they have to do to get better better other than you know don't give up runs throw strikes command your pitches they're going to have to catch a second win because they're very clearly tired and taxed right now. And it can't continue that way if they have playoff aspirations because they need those bullpen guys. 
Yeah, if they don't pitch better, they're not making it. It, it either that or it's going to be as what we we love to qualify a mid off between the Rangers bullpen and the Mariners, uh, the Rangers pitching staff and the Mariners pitching staff over the seven of those final ten games of the season. And I I don't think either either of us really want to see that because that just sounds like a nightmare seven game stretch of too many runs and too much stress. Those last 10 games are going to be just a nightmare. I already know it. I, I, I know the way we're sitting here feeling right now. I mean, this is, I feel like we're usually pretty upbeat on this podcast. And I think this has been a little bit more of a negative sided podcast, which we're usually pretty good about avoiding. Now it's not, it's not ridiculously negative, but there is a little bit more of, uh, I don't know what do you even call it, a less positive tone for sure. And there's reason for it. And I think we're starting to feel what's upcoming on the schedule. You're going to have the Dodgers. You're going to have then that 10-game stretch against the Astros and the Rangers. And I'm not looking forward to it. And I don't think, that, like this isn't the main topic of this segment, but I also don't think Scott Service is free of blame in this because he does manage the bullpen. And just even with his guys being tired, I mean, even even like the little details of what Justin Topa did today in the 10th inning. Yeah, it was the 10th inning where they have Scott chooses to have Justin Topa pitch to Brandon Drury instead of walking Brandon Drury with two outs and facing what's his name again? Kyron Paris. Yeah. Have you heard? Did you hear hear that guy before today? He was a prospect. So, yeah, a little bit. Okay, I ha- I had not. Uh, so Kyron Paris had like a 300 OPS this year. And Scott, in summary, decided to pitch to Brandon Drury instead of walk Brandon Drury with two outs and put Paris at the plate. And Topa just, he was atrocious. It was right down the middle. Uh, sweeper right down the middle. Drury hits it over the wall. Julio ends up tying it. But again, Julio would have just won it if Topa would have gotten that third out. So... Uh, maybe maybe a conversation about Scott can be uh, next week if we uh, or even later this week if he if he makes more terrible ones I think that could be a worthwhile discussion but the vibes are not good in summary no well let's close it on somewhat of a positive note before we get to the interview Julio speaking of the home run 44th player in the history of baseball to have a 30-30 season which he's 22 years old that guy's pretty good remember when this was a down year yeah, and that pitch he hit out. I mean, that was at his ankles, and just the coincidence that he was—he wears number forty-four, and he is the forty-fourth player to go thirty-thirty. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool, and he's got a chance for a lot more. So that's fun. Good for Julio. And well, it was the one—it was the one-year anniversary of that game-tying home run he hit against the Braves last year. Congratulations to Julio, uh, a thirty-thirty season. So here we are being pessimists about this playoff picture and yet our interview this week with Derek Van Riper of The Athletic he's an executive producer and a host of the Athletic Baseball show and Rates and Barrels was on the playoff picture he talks about these teams all the time not just the Mariners he talks about the entire league and he's a numbers guy like us so I like I liked this conversation for another a number of reasons we talked about the postseason talked about matchups a little bit structure but then we also talked about analytics because you know that's our thing Lyle analytics so it was great it was a great conversation with Derek and a different tone not Mariner centric but more baseball centric which I liked 
We certainly did talk about the Mariners, but it was cool. We basically did a playoff preview, which with the postseason just around the corner here, it's going to creep up faster than you think. So all of a sudden we could turn around and all of a sudden we're out of time to do this full playoff preview. So we thought Derek would be a perfect person to do that with. And then, yeah, we do get into some of the sabermetric stuff, which is great. I thought it was a fantastic conversation. He's incredibly knowledgeable. And I always like listening to the athletic baseball show because I learn a lot listening to him. So it was cool to have Derek on with us. We won't keep you any longer. Let's get to our interview with Derek Van Riper. All right, we welcome on Derek Van Riper, the executive producer of podcasts at The Athletic. He's also the host of The 3-0 Show, host of Rates and Barrels, and the host of DVR and Law, all part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Derek, we appreciate you taking some time to join us. I will say we do appreciate you taking some time during paternity leave. So I, I have two things off of that. First, congratulations. Second, was this just more of a also convenience that you get to watch a playoff race without having to worry about working too much? Yeah, it's actually perfect timing. Um, so we, uh, my wife and I had our first kid back in February. And fortunately, the athletic has this policy where you can split your leave into two blocks if you want to. So we decided to spend a little bit of that leave at the end of the season because some of our, our help, our family is actually going to Italy for like a vacation of a lifetime. So uh, we figured it'd be a good time to bond when our little guy's a little bigger. And yeah, the bonus is I get to watch a lot of baseball now. And you're a Brewers fan too, and they've turned it on just in time for you to, to have all this time to watch them. Yeah, absolutely. They played pretty well in the series against the Pirates, uh, notwithstanding. That was pretty frustrating. I think everybody goes through that. No matter what team you root for, if you're in a playoff race, you think you hit an easy stretch of your schedule and even just an easy series where we're going to sweep or at least going to take two of three and you drop that series and it's so frustrating and it makes you question everything you thought about the quality of that team because of a three-game sample that went wrong. We've had that a million times this year is what it feels like, which is funny because the Mariners are playing so well, but certainly during the National Series back in June, we felt like that. I would say after this Red Series, TJ, I won't speak for you, but we probably felt a little bit like that. And then things kind of just turn around if you give it a few days. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I think if you root for a franchise, the Mariners certainly apply, the Brewers apply to this. If you root for a franchise that has had a lot of historical disappointment and failure, it hits harder when things start to unravel in September because you have you have a lot of bad memories of things going wrong, right? Padres fans have that too. There's a handful of teams like that that are pretty good now that historically have not been good. And I think you can see the emotions in those fan bases very clearly pretty much on any given day on Twitter. Now, as a fan of an NL Central team, is there a way to keep yourself calm watching your team play this version of the Reds? Because I got to say, Lau <laughs> and I were pretty stressed out over the, the three days this week that the Mariners were playing the Reds and, and certainly happy that they're they're out of Cincinnati now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's fun because like it's better to watch good teams, even even when you're playing against them or rooting against them, right? I mean, the Reds today versus the Reds on opening day are a completely different roster. They're exciting. You want to watch them. You seek them out instead of trying to avoid them when you're picking your, your early games on any given day, right? So for me, it's just more like, let's just hit the pitching. Let's just outscore them, right? You expect them to put runs on the board, especially when you go into Great American Ballpark too. That place can be a bit of a, a house of horrors when... They have guys that can mash, and you know you're going to have to score six, seven, eight runs to actually beat them, right? I think that's going to be true for a long time with the core they have in place. And I'm curious to see if they have enough pitching 
within the organization to make it work, or if they're going to go out in free agency or possibly in trade to bolster that rotation for this next couple of seasons. So that's all on the NL side. Let's go to the AL side, because I think that's where this podcast is focuses. And the American League playoff picture is starting to clear itself out a little, a little bit, and the Mariners are solidly in that mix. So first question to, to kick off this playoff discussion, Derek, is where do you see the Mariners in this American League playoff race right now? How are they, how are they shaping up versus all those other teams that they're contending with? I think they're legit. I mean, I, I think one of my co-hosts, Britt Giroli, had them as a you know, World Series winner. That was her bold prediction going into the season. And there was a point during the first half where I, I think she wanted to give up on that. But uh, part of the reason the Mariners are so dangerous is because they're deep in the rotation. They're deep in the bullpen. And they're at least good enough with that lineup to hit top-level pitching. They have some star power. They have some depth. I think Jerry Depoto, as you would expect, had a great trade deadline, right? Trading Paul Seawald was probably a little unpopular in the clubhouse and even with the fan base, but he got a couple guys back that can help them right away in Canzone and Rojas. And I really like the way they're built. I think the thing that's really jumped off the page for me is in the second half of the season, I think they have nine or 10 players who have a WRC plus above 100. So they're getting contributions from everyone. You know, Julio's playing like the future MVP that we all expect him to be. And they've stopped walking guys as a starting rotation. That really just blew my mind. I was looking at it and you, you expect to see low walk totals next to George Kirby's name. He's, he's the guy when it comes to having an elite walk rate. But it was Gilbert, it was Castillo, it was even Bryce Miller, and you know Brian Wu. I think has been even better than people expect at this point as well. So I just think they're they're dangerous because they can outpitch a slumping offense, right? And they can shut down an elite offense with the pitching they have. So there's a lot of ways they can beat you, and that's the thing I'd be the most optimistic about looking at this Mariners team down the stretch, and hopefully for you guys' sake, deep into October. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, but is there a team in baseball that fares better in the playoffs with the rotation than the Mariners currently do? You know, if the Rays were completely healthy, I think you could make an argument for them. But without Shane McClanahan, I don't think you can necessarily do that. Um, I, I think this is probably the best one through four rotation you would have in the playoffs right now. I think that's one of the flaws on the NL side with Atlanta. I, I look at Atlanta and just say this, this pitching's pretty hittable. They might have a historically good lineup putting runs on the board, but their starting rotation can be had relative to the other teams in the field in the postseason. So I think that's a huge strength for Seattle. When I look at the whole playoff picture, too, I mean, we look at the two top teams, the, the top team in each league, the Orioles and the Braves, they almost have that same problem that makes you like the Mariners' chances a little bit more, no? Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, right? It, in Playoff baseball is just different. You just have to get there. And part of believing you're going to actually do damage when you get there is understanding how good your roster is. The Mariners are no fluke. I, I think that's that's clear to me. It's been clear to me going back to last season. And I think they're here for the next couple of seasons, too. I think the AL West is a lot more exciting than many people expect it to be. Uh, I fell for the Angels this year again, second year in a row, where Oof. I thought the Angels were going to be better. I thought the moves they made were actually going to at least keep them in contention to this point in the season and uh, especially after the trade done they had they were aggressive I thought okay they're they're gonna hang around they're gonna take slim odds they're gonna push it and they're gonna play meaningful games all the way through the end of September uh, and yet again the Angels have fallen on their face but you know I think when you look at the Astros you look at the Mariners and you look at the Rangers the way they're spending and the young talent they're putting around some of the big players they brought in in free agency they seem pretty close to being 
perennially a much more dangerous team than we're accustomed to. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this division unfolds in the next couple of seasons. So with that and the teams revolving around the Mariners, what's the story with this Rangers collapse? I mean, can you credit it all to a really bad bullpen and injuries? Or is there anything else you're seeing that's going on there? You know, I think that's a huge part of it. Um, I, I think with Nathan Evaldi, who just had his first start off the IL, it, we're always watching the radar gun. When his velo dips, he loses effectiveness very quickly. That becomes a bit of a wild card for them. The bullpen's been, I think, a relative weak spot for this Rangers team all season long. There are a couple of interesting guys that have good stuff, but they're not necessarily getting elite results. They made the trade for Aroldis Chapman, and the weird thing is, like, Cole Reagans is really good so yeah that may have been a mistake right it's Chapman's a rental Reagan's could probably do all those things and more given what he's done in that Kansas City rotation uh, I, I like that they added depth to that r- rotation by adding both Scherzer and Jordan Montgomery I think without that this this fade would have happened sooner uh, I think the injury to Adelise Garcia could be the backbreaker for them I think he's a really important piece of that roster and a player that I was wrong about, you know, when he started to break through a couple of years ago, I, I thought Adelis Garcia was the kind of player that he's the best player on a bad team and he's not necessarily an everyday guy on a good one. And I've been very wrong about that. He's become a much more patient hitter compared to what he was in the upper levels in the minors and the early part of his big league career. Um, Josh Young not being there is a problem. You know, they've had injuries throughout the year. Of course, they lost to Grom a while back now. That's they've been getting by without him for a long time. So it's a little bit of everything. Um, but I think this team had a few small flaws that are now being exposed here in the final month. Can they turn it around? Yeah, I think they can. I think the thing I always wonder about for teams that are kind of trending in the longer term upward direction is what what kind of response do they get in the clubhouse when things aren't going well, right? So you think about a team like Houston by comparison. That's a battle-tested core. They've been in this situation year after year after year. So if they hit a rough patch, they lose a couple of guys to injury, you worry less about a team like Houston than you do about Texas. But I think because of the way that roster's built, because they've got some guys in Seager and Simeon who've been around for a long time, I don't worry about them as much as I would about a completely like young core that came up together, right? So the Orioles would be the, one of those teams that if things started to go wrong for them just before the postseason, I would have questions about how well they would actually respond to it just because they have not been in this situation before. And then when you look at the Astros, they're on the polar opposite side of where the Rangers are at right now, where they're starting to surge. Is it fair to say the Astros might be back to being the lethal Astros again? They sure look like it. I mean, I think when you you look at their core, anytime you have all of Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker, Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman healthy, they're pretty healthy in the rotation right now. You know, Verlander's not peak Verlander or the Verlander even two years ago anymore, but that was a big get for them at the deadline, bringing him back because it takes a lot of pressure off a couple of the younger guys like Hunter Brown and Christian Javier. Um, so you go Verlander and Framber Valdez, one, two atop the rotation. If your mid rotation guys run short, they're four or five deep in that bullpen with guys that throw gas that are nasty. So they, they can deal with five and dive starters. They can put runs on the board. There's depth in that lineup and they don't have the injury woes that a lot of other teams are dealing with right now. So timing is everything. And I think my expectation about two weeks ago, looking at this division and how tight everything was, I kind of thought it was the, the cream's going to rise. Houston's going to get it. It's not going to be as easy for them as it's been in past years. But I think they're going to come away with the division, even though 
Seattle could do it, right? I mean, the schedule, the Mariners' schedule sets up really well for them to have a lot of control over their own destiny over the final 10 days of the season. I think that's something you always want to have when you're on the cusp of possibly winning a division title. In terms of all the teams that I'd least like the Mariners to face down the stretch and, and probably in the playoffs at this rate, it looks like the Astros. But we look at the 10 previous games they played against the Astros this season, and the Mariners, unlike any season since the Astros joined the American League West, have absolutely handled them so do do you see a distinct advantage in a matchup for either of those sides I mean the Mariners obviously have the pitching they're probably a little bit healthier on the pitching side than the Astros are they've had some injuries this season but I'm that Astros lineup against the Mariners hasn't been all that great when they play but I feel like that dam's gonna break next in those final three games they play it's a fair thing to wonder about, but I do think the starting rotation is one area where I'd give the slight edge to the Mariners in those matchups. And I think the bullpens are pretty much even in terms of quality and depth, too. So it's good. If you can go toe-to-toe with pitching, anything can happen. I think it's that lineup that you trust a lot more for Houston. And as you guys know, the thing that's made the Astros so dangerous throughout this window for them, they do damage and they don't strike out, right? They're always a top-five offense with like a sub-20% strikeout rate. And those teams are so pesky the Blue Jays have become one of those teams in recent years with the rise of that young core I think when you face a lineup like that there's just no easy out when you go through it maybe with the exception of a guy like Martin Maldonado right he's there because he's a fantastic defensive catcher and anything you get from his bat is a bonus but it's one of the deeper lineups in the American League but it's also a lineup that can do a ton of damage in the heart with that core that's healthy Those last 10 games are going to be crazy. You mentioned the Mariners' schedule, where it is solely the Astros and it's the Rangers. I mean, we're talking about the AL West potentially being decided right in that stretch if everything stays according to par where it's at right now. So the fan in you worries, right? But like the (laughs) baseball fan side of you, the general perspective is, you know, what a fun way for the season to end. I mean, this is what you ask for as a baseball fan. Tafe, as a as a neutral observer of what's happening in the American League, especially, I'm I'm all here for it. I, I love it. I mean, and it's great that those last two series are at home. That's the other thing you really like to see uh, if you're in, in the position of a Mariners fan. You just want to you want to have an opportunity to do it in front of your home crowd. You want that extra little lift you get playing in your home ballpark. So those last seven games being at home, I think, is a huge huge boost for them. The one team that we're really focused on in this race outside of the teams in the American League West is the Toronto Blue Jays. They're the ones hanging around right with the Rangers, right with the Mariners, aiming for one of those last two wildcard spots. How did they shape up in this race? You know, I think getting Bo Bichette back from another injury is huge. He's back as of this weekend. I think that's that's key for them just because I think the the Jays are one of those teams where I don't like their depth. I like their their starting lineup. And I just think anytime they lose someone, they're relying on a, a well below average bench player to step in. So that's one thing. If if you were calling the shots for the Jays, you'd want to continue to add to that group and, and say, look, hey, if we lose Bo, you know, we lose Vlad, we lose one of our key hitters, we're much better off than we were a year ago. The questions about this team continue to be with pitching. If you told me at the beginning of the season, Alec Manoa was going to fall apart like this, there's no way I, I would have believed you. Uh, I think the key thing here is just finding enough quality. Jose Barrios' bounce back has been huge. Kevin Gossman is a capital A ace, so you have that. Uh, you guys have seen a ton of Yusei Kikuchi. Do you trust him? Like, Do you believe that he is <laughs> no. a, a better version of himself? I mean, the home run rate is still a little high, as things are right now, and I I think you're right to be cautious about buying in, but if he's your four, you're probably okay. I mean, Chris Bassett's the guy that I always think, 
I always kind of forget about him, even though I, I know he's there because he's just more of an innings eater to me. He's not necessarily the guy that you want pitching an elimination game, but he's someone that you need to get through a long series because he can go out there and chew up five or six innings effectively and, and turn it over to a pretty good bullpen, right? So I think the Jays, I've wondered all season when Vlad Jr. was going to hit the way we expect him to. If he catches fire at the end of the season, you have Bo Bichette healthy again, you could start to look at them much like we looked at them a year ago. And then they're one of the more dangerous teams that, hey, look, they didn't win their division, but they got there. And that's a lot like the script we're talking about with the Mariners. I think you say Kikuchi might be near the top of the list of pitchers we trust the least. So just to peek behind <laughs> the, the curtain of, of, a, of, a, of the Seattle Mariners world. Sure. Uh, totally understandable. I think the logic behind that is all credit to him because he has had a good season this year as a whole, but that just feels like the type of pitcher where you get into October and he might fall apart. And I think your managerial decisions on a player like that are really complicated in game, right? So much is going to depend on how rested your bullpen is from previous days and, and how quick of a hook you want to have if, if things are not going well for Kikuchi uh, in a particular matchup. But this is, this is turning out to be a career year so far, right? A 363 ERA, 126 whip, well above uh, the numbers we've grown accustomed to seeing from him. And this is more like the guy that he was in his final season with the Mariners. Uh, I just think this is another reclamation project for the Jays in terms of taking a guy who's had trouble with walks throughout his career and bringing him to a career high. And I wonder what the league will will think, you know, if Kikuchi does this again in 2024, how how long of a contract does he get the next time he hits free agency? We saw Robbie Ray cash in because people believed, and I think they were right to believe. And uh, I think if you're able to take a guy like that, knock two, three percentage points off the walk rate, that changes everything. So maybe this is an organizational skill the Jays have, or maybe it's just a, a fluke that they had two guys do this. But I think Ray's success in Toronto gives me a little more confidence that I might have otherwise in Kikuchi. So Vladdy starts hitting again. Does the Blue Jays ceiling raise up closer to the Rays and the Orioles? Are they, are they like, because the talent on the roster purely, I mean, I feel like they match up with those teams 100%. If Vladdy hits, but he hasn't hit this year, he's been slightly above average as a first baseman this year. So how how far up does that ceiling go with the Blue Jays? It definitely ticks up a little bit. I mean, I think Bo Bichette has been their, their best all-around hitter so far. So he's critically important to them. Just having him back means a lot. I think you could probably say the same thing about George Springer that you're saying about Vlad Jr. Compared to our expectations, it's underperformance, right? For a lot of players, it'd be a totally acceptable, or at least a decent sort of season. This is not quite the George Springer that you signed up for either. It's a 104 WRC+. plus. Uh, it's, it's a little lighter in the OBP and slug than you'd expect it to be. Alejandro Kirk is another guy that you know, behind the plate, I thought, if he was going to do anything, he would hit. And the problems would be defensively. He's improved defensively a little bit, but he's not hitting the way you'd expect. Dalton Varsho is underperformed. So I think Vlad Jr. bears the brunt of it because expectations on him have been off the charts high ever since he was a prospect. But it's a few other guys in this lineup that could also get going that would really kind of push them all the way back to their pre-2023 expectations. So million dollar question here, as we've touched on basically all these teams now, who gets left out of the dance? So I think for me, it's the Rangers. Um, I think the bullpen woes are one thing. Evaldi not looking good in that first start back is a concern. I, I worry that Scherzer is just not quite Scherzer anymore. 
Andrew Heaney's one of those guys that has had major issues with home runs throughout his career. Like you could just see uh, the cracks starting to appear right now. And I, I, you know, I hope for the sake of, of Rangers fans that I, I, I'm wrong, but I think they're the team that because they're not playing well, because they've got a few injuries, because they have a few flaws compared to the rest of this field, I think they're the team that gets left out. So now we got our field. Is there a definitive favorite? Or are we believing in the Orioles enough to call them, hey, best record in the AL, they should be the favorite? You know, I've, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't call them that. I, I know that's it's... It's wrong in some ways, right? Like based on record. Like, yeah, sure. They are like mathematically in that regard. They are. And they play so well on a series to series basis. I'm not sure how meaningful that actually is come October. You'd think it would matter, but uh, we'll have to see if it actually holds up. The reason I'm not sure about the Orioles is the pitching. And the Felix Bautista injury is the type of injury that any team can overcome. You can deal with missing your best reliever, but I think bullpen depth was a little bit of a question. That's why they went out and got Fujinami at the trade deadline. So if they run into some problems with their starting pitching, which I think is likely to happen against top-level offenses in October, that bullpen, which has been worked pretty hard this year, could end up getting a little bit overexposed in October as well. So I think for me, that's the thing that kind of brings the Orioles back to the pack, right? The record to me is not necessarily indicative of them being a clearly better team than the other teams in the AL playoff field. but They'll have the benefit of playing at home throughout the postseason, at least throughout the AL side, if they can hold on and win that division. Who even starts game one for them? Is it Dean Kramer? Is he game one? Uh, I think it's Kyle Bradish. I, I think oh, yeah. it's either Bradish or Grayson Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez in the second half has been great. I've wondered throughout this entire season how they're going to handle keeping him fresh for the playoffs. Clearly, they're not that worried about the workload relative to last season. I think pitching workloads in general are are really hard to forecast right now because there's this general desperation around the league to find enough quality innings in your organization to just make it through the regular season and to make it to the playoffs. And then to have those guys in top form when it matters most is another problem onto itself. And then that, of course, is separate from not breaking those guys by increasing your over your workloads in, in significant ways. And, and Rodriguez is just so complicated because they've tried to handle him with kid gloves in the minor leagues, and he's lost a lot of time to injuries anyway. Okay, I have an interesting question for you because you mentioned Felix Batista and you think teams can sustain bullpen injuries. Can they sustain that one? Because I feel like that's the extreme of that is the best reliever in baseball this year that they just lost. And the Orioles as a team, when you look at the numbers, they weren't an elite offense, but they hit enough. They weren't an elite rotation, but they pitched enough. Their bread and butter to all these games this year has been shortening the games to what was essentially seven innings. You go to Cano in the eighth, you go to Batista in the ninth, they shut it down. Batista's out for the playoffs, especially in games where they might ask him to pitch two innings if he was healthy. Can they get past that? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think it takes something step, something different happening. It takes either your starters being as effective as they've been to this point. So it puts a ton of pressure on guys like Bradish and Grayson Rodriguez to go six. And if your third best starter, that's Dean Kramer or, or somebody else they're going to turn to, uh, is going four and change, that's where opposing teams are going to take advantage. It's those middle relievers, right? Everybody moves up a chair to fill those higher leverage roles without Bautista. And suddenly, your fifth best reliever on your playoff roster 
is a huge weak spot. For a lot of teams, that's a relative weak spot. For the Orioles, I think it's become a bigger one because of that Bautista injury. So when you pair that with some of the issues we, we have with the middle and back of their rotation, especially, that's where I think it hurts them the most. Like generally, yes, losing your best reliever, okay, everyone moves up a chair, no problem. They've got questions about the quality of that middle of that rotation. Okay, just so we go full circle here, do you have a pick for the National League? Is it anyone besides the Braves? It's not. I mean, I think Atlanta is the most complete team. The lineup is fantastic. There's There are no easy outs. They have depth. I, I think the biggest question for the Braves that I pointed to earlier was just that I'm not sure how much I trust the middle of their rotation. Spencer Strider and Max Fried are fantastic. Fried being healthy is huge for them. The time he missed earlier in the season when we didn't know for sure if he'd come back and be himself that was a lingering question. Maybe wonder if they needed to go out and do something at the deadline just to bolster that group. They didn't, and Freed looks great. So, so far, it's working out just fine for Atlanta. You know, which version of Charlie Morton shows up? He's a guy you tend to bet on in October just because he's been there before and he's pitched really well on that stage. And then how much do you have to rely on Bryce Elder? I think the, the first half appeal of Bryce Elder has faded a little bit here over the last couple of months. But they've got a really deep bullpen. So that's the one start potentially in a series, in a long series, where you may have to turn to your fifth and sixth best relievers. And I think Atlanta's bullpen depth is really good. I think you look at that bullpen compared to the Orioles. There are more guys you trust in that Braves relief core right now. I think it's fair to say. I think it's fair to say for three people that are tuned in on analytics when talking about Bryce Elder, that second half regression isn't exactly unexpected, right? (laughs) No, no, because we looked at it so many times in the first half. We got a lot of questions on the pods about it. It's like, Bryce Elder, what's going on? Everything on his his baseball savant page is blue. How is he doing this? And you know, know, and I looked at it and there, no, there's no, there's no explanation for this. This is, this is just a guy getting pretty lucky. This is a guy with pretty ordinary stuff, ordinary skills, getting extraordinary results and even if you don't get the full correction you don't go down with a a six era for the second half of the season you're probably not pitching to a sub three era for an entire second half right so i think the skills never quite lined up it's been a a nice story for the braves it's been important to to find somebody to chew up innings with some of the issues they've had i mean you feel bad for michael soroka he's hurt again just i just want to see that guy healthy and back to what he was before all the achilles injuries Kyle Wright's been banged up all season. So they've definitely dealt with their share of of pitching injuries. Uh, And Bryce Elder's been important to kind of get them through the season, but he's probably a guy they want to avoid as much as they can in October. That's a good, pretty good transition to what I wanted to ask you next, diving into a little bit more of the numbers of baseball. You're a big numbers guy. It shows on all the podcasts you host on the Athletic Podcast Network. So we've asked this question of a few of our guests, so I'm curious to hear what you think of this. If there's a stat that casual fans should know more about and use more and swap it out for say oh batting average this guy like everyone knows what this guy's hitting when they look up at a scoreboard what stat are you you're saying now and probably over the next five years fans should get much more accustomed with i think it's wrc plus for me from from an offensive perspective i think it it gives you a lot of context about performance i mean the casual fan is aware of all the rule changes that happened this year i don't know if the casual fan can always anticipate how much those rule changes will change the offensive environment. Uh, I think with all the changes to the baseball in recent years, the the uncertainty about which baseball we're going to have and and how lively the offensive environment is going to be because of that. You know, we have all these variables that 
make the numbers that are on the back of the baseball card look different for one reason or another. And and WRC plus cuts through a lot of that, right? So you can just get a relative idea of how valuable a player has been compared to a league average player in the current run environment. I think that's just a really simple it's, it, I love that it's indexed off of 100. It's so easy to understand. You know, 120 is a 20% better than league average. 80 is 20% worse than league average. So I think for an advanced stat, it does a lot of heavy lifting and just gives you a really clear and simple understanding of how effective a player has been. Do the Brewers use it on their broadcasts? You know, I, I think they do a little. I think it's more... I want to say it's more on the radio side than on the TV side. I'm always messing with the uh, the settings because with, with Bob Uecker still calling some of the games, uh, he only calls games at home. Uh, so you can do the audio overlay from the radio. So this is the the nerdy thing that I'm always doing, right? Like, okay, which radio announcer? Is it home game or an away game? Uh, is Yukon? Is Jeff Levering on TV? Like, they have a great crew, almost like top to bottom. It's something they've, I think Brewers fans maybe like realize that they're very lucky. Um, a lot of the, the backups to Euchre have gone on to be lead play-by-play announcers for other clubs over the last like 20 years. Uh, but I think I hear it once in a while. I think, geez, which which broadcasts are the best at bringing advanced stats? And I feel like the White Sox do a pretty good job with it. Jason Benetti is always good about that. I know on scoreboards, it's popping up a little more often at different stadiums around the league too. Uh, they were talking on MLB Central about how the must have been the Phillies at Citizens Bank Ballpark. They didn't have batting average next to players' names anymore. It's like, good. Like, we're, we're trending in the right direction. I mean, batting average doesn't tell you that much. And we've got so much more information now. We should actually be presenting that and encouraging people to learn more about those stats because they're, they're much more helpful. The Mariners broadcast does a really good job of it. So Rick Riz is a legend. He's a little older, so he's not. He doesn't bring up WRC plus. He loves he's a big batting average guy. Dave Sims doesn't really bring it up either. But the the best part about it. So two of the guys on the radio, Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill, they'll talk about WRC plus and Shannon Dreyer, too, who does the pre and the post game. They'll talk about WRC plus all the time. But I think my favorite thing about how the Mariners use it on their broadcast is on Root Sports. They will constantly cycle WRC plus stats throughout the game. It doesn't even it doesn't even matter if the the announcers are talking about it. Right above the score bug, they will cycle a player's WRC plus since this point for the whole season, what the lineup looks like, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think it's very helpful and I hope every team does that. I think every team should because at its core, I don't think it's too hard to understand. Era adjusted league adjusted offense. Boom, it's how productive are you? Yeah, yeah, I, I love it. I'm glad there are more broadcasts. They're at least willing to dabble in it, even if you don't see it up and down all over the graphics. You at least have announcers who are introducing it to fan bases that you know, might not really be familiar with it. I like the point you brought up about it's not that hard to understand, and that's the truth. It's really not. For people that don't want to transition over into the new stats, they're thought process behind it seems to be along the lines of what's wrong with the old way this new stuff like how would you ever understand it how would you ever figure it out when like you talked about when you scale it out on a 100 on a 100 scale it's really not that hard to comprehend along with the fact basically the one-liner i tell people when they say they don't want to transition over is i say is a single as valuable as a home run and they'll go well no and i'm like well batting average tells you it is so so why are you still using it I mean, there's just some things people are more comfortable with, right? I, what do you think happens first? People stop using batting average in, in casual baseball conversations, or we switch to the metric system in the U.S.? <laughs> wow. right? uh, the metric system yeah, makes a, a lot question. more sense. Like, the whole world uses it. Right. 
<laughs> that makes that makes a lot of sense. What about say on like a baseball savant page? The baseball savant, by the way, just updated. It looks great, fantastic. They have they have the values of of hitting, fielding, and base running, and they've they've formatted it differently. So WRC plus isn't on there. That's not a MLB stat. That's a FanGraphs stat. Is there anything? on baseball savant you would say is something useful something that is generated by the league to present to fans to look at i think barrel rate is one of the more accessible things to think about i think the only problem i've run into with it is that you see it presented sometimes where it's uh, barrels divided by batted ball events and sometimes you see it barrels divided by plate appearances so i think just getting to a point where we agree on one of those numbers being the number we throw out there the most, I think that would be helpful. But I think you want to know who hits the ball hard, who hits the ball in the right angles for good stuff to happen, right? I think a barrel is something people can generally understand because when you see it, you kind of know you saw something good. Like you either think it was a home run or it was a home run off the bat. And I think that's a a good thing to quantify for people. Is there any advanced stat that you don't really love? (laughs) Um. You know, I don't use the X stats that much. I don't use XBA, X slug, X woba a ton. Um, I know one of the problems that Eno mentioned on our, our podcast back in the probably the second or third month of the season is they hadn't been recalibrated for the current run environment, so they weren't they weren't really doing the thing that they're supposed to do by giving you a sense of what production should look like relative to the actual results. Um, so I just think there are times when those can be a little bit misleading. And they're they're made up of other things that you can look at. You can look at the ingredients. You don't need to look at the final product. And I think sometimes the ingredients of something like a, an X stat is actually better than the actual outcome itself. Derek, wanted to ask you a little bit about your career before we wrap up. So you're one of the executive producers at The Athletic for podcasts. You, you're on three different baseball podcasts. What do you like so much and, and what's so, I would say, important about this kind of media delivering information to the fans outside of, say, the traditional media that The Athletic was built around by just writing? No, you guys have a lot of spoken content and you go in a, go in a whole bunch of different directions with that. So so why why is your job so cool? Why why is it so important that fans should should listen and, and digest your media that way? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I like about my job is I get to work with a a lot of different people. Uh, The newsroom at The Athletic is extremely collaborative, and I didn't know that going in. I had never – my previous job was a fantasy sports company called Rotowire. There were probably 20 full-time employees when I left. You know, everybody interacted all the time. That was a very collaborative environment, but going into a huge newsroom where you have over 500 employees – you don't really know how well everyone's going to get along. Or if you're going to you know, send Ken Rosenthal a Slack message, you don't really know if you're going to get a response, right? And I, I've found that there is much less ego than you'd expect. People are always willing to help out as guests on a podcast or collaborating on writing pieces. It's something you definitely see up and down on The Athletic. You see two or three writers often working together. So I think my favorite thing about being there is just having a lot of folks willing to dig in and and try to learn more too, right? A lot of the writers we have may have broken in 20 years ago, but they still want to learn how to write about the modern game. They're not out here writing about batting average. They're trying to look at things through the lens that someone like Eno Saris does. And I've found that to be pretty refreshing as well. As far as podcasting goes, I just think the, the portability of the content is huge. I mean, I think about growing up, I, I liked terrestrial radio i like listening to am radio for for games and post game and pre-game shows and all that stuff and i think 
the direction of that of that content has it's really gone it's it's gone very poorly over the last 20 years right the the hot takes and the the overwhelming push to make everything kind of about the NFL and whatever market you're in and less about everything else it feels like major league baseball the NBA the NHL um, women's sports everything else people generally care about as sports fans gets kind of pushed aside on a lot of the traditional radio shows podcasts are great because you can go out and get whatever you want whatever you want to hear more of you can find people who are experts in that who are great storytellers in those spaces and uh, that's what i like the most about this platform and, and getting to be a part of the athletics podcast network you know there's to me there's still a lot of limitless potential in the types of things we can do um, especially on the narrative side we've kind of started scratching the surface of that as a company where we can we can do some of the deep storytelling that we've done on the written side of the site, we could actually do that with a four or five part series. They did Andrew Luck one that was really good a while back. You know, I, I just, I love the idea of taking, you know, ESPN's 30 for 30 concept and applying that to podcasting. So you, you have flexibility to do that. Um, you could react, you know, there's, there's no set schedule. I think the worst thing about sports talk radio is they take a combination of hosts and they say, you're on from one to four, you're on from one to five today. A lot of that's dead time. It's hard to have three or four hours of material every single day. And that's why those shows rely so much on callers. And um, oh, it's like my pet peeve, sports talk radio, like the call quality. It's not even that the, like the questions are, are sometimes silly or that the, you know, it's the technical aspect of how hard it is to even hear the question. That drives me absolutely crazy. I feel like with the podcasting, you have so much more control over the final product. And I think that's what makes podcasting generally better than traditional radio. As someone who works in radio, I get it. A hundred percent, hundred percent get it. But I want to go some back to something earlier in your answer. Were you sweating bullets first time you Slack messaged Ken? Yeah, a little bit. Um, <laughs> I think the first time I reached out to him, it was at the beginning of COVID and we were, I was trying to put together a list of, of players that weren't in various camps, right? When camp started back up in the middle of that season, no one knew what was going on. Like it, it was just an absolute blindfold situation where we were checking with every beat reporter, just trying to get a sense of headcount. Like who's, who's here, who's not here. And if you're, if you're not here, is it even a COVID related absence or is it, you know, a visa thing or something else that's causing a player to not be around? Like that was, that was one of the weirdest times that I've ever been involved in sports media. I don't ho hopefully we'll never have a situation like that again. Uh, but Ken responded almost immediately. It was extremely helpful. Did a few shows with him, you know, after that. And it, he's awesome to work with. So, uh, but that's just, that's been true of everybody. Every team beat writer I've talked to, every national writer I've talked to has been just amazing. So I, I'm very lucky and uh, I, you know, hope the hope the band stays together as long as possible, right? Anytime you're in a, a big company like that, you just hope everyone can keep working together and, and keep making great content. When did you figure out that talking into a mic in some form or another was the medium of sports media that you wanted to pursue between either talk radio or podcasting, everything in that realm? I think in college, so I went to the University of Wisconsin. I was there from 2002. I graduated in 2006 and it was kind of in the earlier days of around the horn. Um, so I was watching that kind of every day after class. And uh, at the time, there was a guy for, I want to say it was the Chicago Sun-Times, Jay Mariotti. He was the Chicago reporter, I think, at the time. And he was brutal. I, I just, I thought his takes were terrible. Uh, I, I kind of had this, this moment where I realized I could do that job. I could 
I could be on TV or a radio show. And uh, it was more just the the confidence of, of all the things that I liked as a fan, like the spreadsheets I made uh, as a fantasy baseball player in college and in, in the prep I did for fantasy football leagues. I started to realize like I could turn this into a job. Like this is this is not a, a impossible career. You know, I was a, a communication arts major, so broad studies, had hands-on production, uh, had chances to write, had some chances to even make some movies and stuff in college. They're just short films, nothing really good, but just good to get the experience. Um, and I just realized that the the hobby I had, I was passionate enough about that that. I could actually find a way to turn that into a career. And, and you know, the, the microphone radio aspect in particular didn't really come around until SiriusXM launched a fantasy channel back in my Rotowire days. And we were asked as a company to be, you know, one of the flagship shows on that new channel. Um, two of my bosses, Jeff Erickson and Chris Liss, uh, could have just taken all the hours themselves. They were talented. They, they could, you know, could have just said, we're the guys and you're never getting on the air. Uh, but they actually divvied up a few of the days and said, you know, we think you do a good job with this. So it was really just getting an opportunity. It was right place, right time. Um, as soon as I tried it, I was hooked on it. I just enjoyed the process of sitting down, putting together a show sheet. Um, and as much as I don't like the technical aspect of callers, I did like the interaction because we'd get a lot of people that would call in um, you know, late in the, late in the week for fantasy football season. You'll get a million calls on a radio show because people want to know what to do with their lineups and. Um, you could see like, as the the Twitter era sort of exploded, the interaction on that platform used to be a little better than it is now. Um, that was great too. So I, I just felt like it was the most interactive medium that I'd worked in. You know, you write something for a paper or you publish something on a website, and maybe you get some comments. If it's behind a paywall, you might not get that many comments at all. That was at least my experience for a little while when I started out at Rotowire. It was that we were a subscription based site. We had a nice little group of subscribers. You get five or six comments. That's not really the same as, you know, getting a few hundred people that respond to something that you you say or you know something that you you put out there on the radio. So, it really started with the SiriusXM opportunity. Podcasting hit just a couple of years after that, and I haven't looked back since. I've just enjoyed it. Derek, last question from me because you mentioned it and it shows in some of your work, uh, especially on rates and barrels. You're a big fantasy guy, but it sounds like it's both fantasy football and fantasy baseball. What about fantasy baseball entices you so much? It's not as popular as fantasy football. You have for some leagues like mine, you have to set your lineup every single day throughout the course of a six month season. There's a lot of games, a lot of injuries you got to keep track of. If you're pitching someone to to play more fantasy baseball and and actually make it worth their time, why should they? Yeah, I think the the first thing I would suggest is trying to play in a weekly league instead of a daily league when you're starting out. Daily leagues are fun. I think you can have a lot more control. You get an early week injury. You're not sitting there for four or five days before you can change your lineup. Totally understand why some people don't like that. Uh, for me, it, it's if you enjoy analyzing players, it's an opportunity to prove yourself right, that you you see things in players. You know, As a scout, as an analyst, as someone who likes to crunch numbers, you have a chance to take 26 weeks and, and prove that you know as much or more than the other people in your league. And I think... Compared to fantasy football, the rosters are bigger in almost every instance. Uh, the categorical balance of a rotisserie league where you have to you know, find guys that can offer you something in 10 or more different categories, that's a unique challenge, right? You're not just boiling it down to points where you can kind of work through it and, and, and find a, you know, four or five categories that sort of carry that scoring system. It's um, it's It's more like 
fantasy football to me is like running a 5k or a 10k which is totally fine that's like the distance i actually run and i think fantasy baseball is more like running a marathon and for me it's just like the the grind for some people is actually something i relish i like being able to change the roster once a week i like trying to pick players up and dig into the scrap heap and try to figure out hey which guy with a with a five era through the first two months is actually gonna be good Who's the opposite of Bryce Elder? Who's the guy that got dropped that's actually going to make my team better? Um, so it's, it's this—it's like this prolonged exercise and problem solving that that really works for me. Um, it's hard for me to pitch it to other people. It makes me think that maybe we're not playing the most the most fun version of fantasy baseball for the masses. Even though the people I've grown to know from this industry over the years, we all love it. Like we we love this this sort of traditional twenty three player, uh, you know, thirty round format where we're we're drafting for three or four hours and we're, we're grinding free agent pickups every Sunday for a couple of hours. Like that's not necessarily for everybody. So I, I think the pitch for me would be try it. You might be surprised at how much you like it, even though it looks like it's intimidating. There's a ton of great information out there. A lot of great podcasters, a lot of great analysts that you can listen to that will help you along. And I think that makes it less intimidating than it used to be. It used to be a lot less information and people didn't know where to begin. Now you've got people that are out every single day giving you the news, giving you pictures that you can pick up and stream for that day, talking about injuries, talking about roster trends. So you've got so much more to work with than you used to have. Well, maybe that's my key to try to join a fantasy baseball league all of a sudden. It's funny. I haven't played in years for as big a baseball nerd as I am, but you're selling me on this whole weekly fantasy baseball thing because that's probably a lot easier to manage. Yeah, yeah. Weekly is so much better. Uh, there's some leagues that give you twice weekly lineup changes, Mondays and Fridays. I like that as kind of the sweet spot because the injury situation I described earlier doesn't come back to bite you. The worst thing you can do, weekly leagues, Monday, lineups lock. Someone gets hurt in Monday's game, gets six days or you're taking a zero. That's not great. That's not a great user experience. So I do find that the twice weekly lineup change is like the absolute sweet spot. But weekly is definitely better than daily when you're starting out just to have have fewer times where you have to check in as you're getting used to it. And if you find yourself checking it daily, you're ready for a daily leak. Here's how I do it. Always just when you're eating breakfast, that's when you do it every single day. It it makes it easier. Don't have to look at the lineup the rest of the day. It's perfect. It works out. Derek, we appreciate you taking some time to join us here today. If you want to find Derek's work, you can find it on the athletic baseball show and on rates and barrels, all part of the athletic podcast network. Derek, thanks so much for taking some time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We really enjoyed that conversation with Derek Van Riper. He was awesome to have on. We really appreciate all his time. And we hope you guys got a good preview of both the AL playoff picture and just the Major League Baseball playoff picture as a whole, because it's really coming up like we talked about. That'll wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. You want to listen to the full form podcast, you can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. If you head over there, make sure to follow us, download our episodes, and leave us a five-star review. The reviews and the downloads really help us out, so make sure to go do that for us. It only takes a few extra seconds. And then head over to our video side. Watch us on YouTube, hit subscribe, like, comment, turn the notification bells on. That way you know whenever we post a video or a show. Then on social media, you can follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.